welcome to the Coaching Focus podcast. I'm Trayton Vance, CEO and founder of Coaching Focus. I've been coaching for over 25 years, and I wanted to share that experience and those lessons learned with you. I will converse with fellow coaches, chief executive officers, senior leaders, and HR professionals to bring you insight into how coaching's being used, the current thinking around coaching, and new ideas that will hopefully ignite your thinking and help to facilitate coaching for a better tomorrow. It gives me great pleasure to be joined today by Nick Day, founder of JGA Recruitment and a renowned podcast host. Nick was the first person that introduced me to podcasts. And in fact, I was a guest on his show recently talking about coaching for a better tomorrow. Definitely worth checking out his insightful podcast and the great guests that he speaks to. But today, Nick is sat in the hot seat rather than the host seat. With over 20 years of experience in HR, talent management, recruitment and payroll, Nick's become a top authority in these fields. He's been recognised by Thinkers360 as one of the top 10 HR thought leaders and has delivered keynote talks and authored white papers, articles and blogs on both the future of global HR and future talent landscape. So, Nick, welcome. It gives me a real honour to have you as one of our guests. And as you know, one of our core areas that we regularly talk into is how the term human resource is becoming redundant and how the term people is emerging. And I'd love to find out from your perspective what your thoughts are so our listeners can hear both you and I talk about these areas. Yeah. Well, firstly, great to be on the show. Great to see you again, Trayton. I have a huge amount of respect for the work that you do, as you know, as someone who's committed to following the courses you provide as well. I'm on the ILM Level 7 coaching course myself to become an executive coach. So um, I've greatly valued the, the work that you do. And I'm really glad you asked me that question because it's a question that I usually ask my guests. In fact, it's the first question I ask. And I've had over 100 episodes of the HRD podcast. And the first question I ask all my guests are, what do the words human resources mean to you? And interestingly, having had that show now for nearly five years, I've seen that answer change. I've seen that answer evolve. And I think certainly post-pandemic, there's been a lot of, I guess, awakening of consciousness in terms of what those terms really mean and whether we should still be using them. And I think if you stop and think about it, the word resource, actually, it's a really terrible way to think about people because it immediately puts people into the commodity box. Now, when I think of commodities, I think of products. Primarily. Yep. And the idea of thinking of people as products, I think, is, is dangerous. Um, and as a recruiter, which is my primary trade, if I think of the people I work with only as commodities, then I really undervalue the nature of, of the work that I do and the personalities involved in that, the ever-changing goals and wishes and aspirations of the people that I work with, which are far, far uh, more complex to understand than, than it would be if I was selling mobile phones, for example. I think also resources can be managed. And this is where I really love our conversations, because when you think of management uh, in its old terms, the command and control way of doing things that we did not too long ago, actually, we now almost, I, I would think effective leaders would consider that as being outdated. And I use the word leaders carefully, because I think there's a big difference between what makes a great leader and whether manager also is a term that's still needs to be applied in the same way. I think we manage things, but we lead people. And I think, therefore, the idea of human resources is a little bit dated, and I think it's evolving to the, the term people. However, 
there is one thing that I think is really interesting when we think about human resources. I think outwardly, it's a, it's a dated term that needs to evolve to the idea of people. We lead people. We wouldn't want to think about the all the great compounding effects that people bring from creativity to empathy to, to kindness and all those complexities that we have to manage. And I think from from that angle, it's it's it needs to evolve. And I would think of it now as as people leaders and and human centric leadership, which is something I'm sure we're going to talk about. There is one element of human resources that I do like, and that's when we look inwardly. And I think with the certainly the recent emergence of generative AI, the likes of ChatGPT and other sources out there, I like the idea that when we do have an employee does have an issue, at least at the moment, managers are still referring to those people to their human resources department. And I say that because at least there's still a human in that title. I wonder how long it will be until managers start referring employee related issues or concerns to an AI resources department where the human is no longer required. And I still believe wholeheartedly that the complexities of human nature mean that it needs a human at the end of, of the line really to help contextualize what our very real, very challenging problems that people often bring to the table. And I'm concerned a little bit about the future of, of AI and, and human resources, in inverted commas, uh, when we start relying on, on very uh, sophisticated language platforms to potentially answer some of those human contextual problems for us. Thank you for bringing the AI piece. I think it's fascinating to think where human resources or people management, people leadership will go in the future and how, how chat GPT and other forms will evolve in there. So what you're saying is human resources is very much looking at people as a an object, as a product. You know, I, the word I use, it's very much looking at like a machine which needs to be yeah. utilised, which needs to be used in a way for productivity. I guess the bit that it doesn't sort of take into account human resources is that people can choose to be productive or utilize their time in certain ways so that discretionary behavior so tell me about from what what you've heard within the sort of hr world uh, how people are starting to unlock their people rather than that resource element within their sure. organizations i think just to pick up on something you've mentioned there as well i think the reason it's evolved a lot is we used to consider I say we, I'm, I'm using the general we here, I'm not means for everyone in the same mm. box, but we think of human resources departments and we think of the word resources. Most people, if you say that word, will think of a toolkit. Think of resources. What are the resources I have to deliver this presentation? I'll think, oh, I've got my pen, I've got my whiteboard, I've got my pens, whatever we might need to do something. And we need to yeah. pull those things together. And I think when we, from a, a human-centric point of view, I think it's dangerous to suggest that a human resources department in, in that old term would have all the tools required to be able to handle a multitude of different problems. And I think it's dangerous to suggest that anyone can solve all of those issues. We now know, and, and it's a very positive thing, things like mental health now has been thrust into the public limelight. It's been spoken about a lot more uh, openly, which is great. People are being more vulnerable, um, which again is great because it's contagious and allows other people to feel vulnerable. But what it also does, it opens up opportunities for genuine experts to come in and support the needs of their organization. It doesn't mean that the human resources individual has to be the jack of all trades that's able, with their little toolkits that they may have been referred to in the past, is able to solve every issue that comes across their desk. I think one thing that's remarkable about um, HR 
teams or people teams I prefer to refer to them now is they are constantly plate spinning. If we think about the pandemic, they were managing furlough at one minute, they were managing employee relations issues, they're managing organizational restructures and organizational design. As we come out of the pandemic, we've now got software transformation projects happening, we've got AI that's infiltrating the process. We've got uh, mental health to consider. We've then got diversity, inclusion and, and equality as it was. It's now equity. So all these things to think about, there's so many plates to spin. But the idea that an HR individual will have all the tools, all the resources to handle all of those things. Actually, if you think about it in those terms, it's preposterous. It's just not possible. Yeah. So I think the idea of, of thinking of resources as a toolkit, which is how I think of the term, therefore, yeah. Is dangerous because actually what we're starting to learn, and, and there are many studies, McKinsey have done a great study on this, but many studies that have shown that both the diversity leads to more creativity, that when people feel psychologically safe and they can bring their whole selves to work, that they are more productive, they are more committed. It reduces things like uh, uh, attrition in a business, something that I'm very familiar with working in recruitment. I'm looking at businesses and I can see attrition change and, and peaks and flows of that on a daily basis. It allows for more cooperation, more collaboration. Psychological safe spaces allow for more empathy, more kindness, which then unearths more passion. And all those things, I think, are people qualities. They're not things I would put into a toolkit. I can't unlock you um, with a tool uh, trait and go, now be more passionate. You know, that's mm. not how people work. We're way more complex than that. I, I totally agree. People are very complex and diverse and, and magical in, in what they can bring. So I guess yeah. with that in mind, Nick, and that's a really interesting one, changing it from that resource to, to and tools to, I guess what you're saying is, Having experts and an HR professional, people professional, can't be experts at everything. No. So what they're going to have to bring is those experts together and create a people team. So where you see with your clients and the sort of the shifting uh, parameters of the workplace and people teams, what, what will be the sort of the people team in the future? What will be the makeup of that, do you think? It's a good question. I think there's, a, I think it may have been Simon Sinek, and apologies if it's not, uh, but there's someone, and it always resonates. There's a, someone put a quote in is make sure you've got the right people on the bus before you head to your destination. And I don't know if it was Simon, it was someone like that. Sure. I, I use that in this context because I think the best businesses are those that are willing to look outward in order to improve what they've got inward. And I, I will use my own example in this in the business that I have. I reached outward to coaching focus. I saw a weakness in the way that. Uh, or potential weakness in me and in my leadership style, uh, perhaps a little bit too much direction and not enough listening. And I wanted to try and redress that balance and find out a little bit more about how I can empower my employees um, to do that. I reached out to an external organization that had the expertise that I needed so that I could learn and then obviously use that expertise, hopefully internally, to, to, to improve the, the, the way that we operate our business here. And we want to try and develop a coaching culture at JJ Recruitment. But I think ultimately it's using that example, it's about putting the people first. And if you do that, actually everything else tends to follow. So I think historically we use human resources, going back to that term, what are the resources we have here? What are the tools we need to get to X profit or to get to X growth or to achieve whatever our board level objectives might be, which, you know, more staff, more, more locations and all of those things. But if we do that without putting the people first, 
you're actually trying to, it's like pushing treacle up a hill because ultimately the people will leave, you'll suffer attrition, you'll suffer all the things that come. And that makes it very, very difficult for organizations to scale and to grow if you haven't engaged your people first, especially in what is a very, very hot talent market. And the one thing that I can tell you from a recruitment perspective is the great resignation really showed that, you know, sure. millions upon millions of people decided yeah. I'm not bought into this anymore. This is this sure. doesn't this doesn't allow my shifted, values. Right? It's a great rebalance Massively. of power to the employee rather than the employer. Yeah. Yeah. And we changed we changed the terms of the Great Awakening here because that's ultimately what happened. People woke up and went, I love what I do, but I don't love doing it here. Or you know, this doesn't align with my values. I'm gonna I'm gonna move and I'm gonna vote with my feet. And of course, that's pushed salaries up. And it's 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 actually had a huge transitional shift in the way that organizations now tempt their staff in to work for them. They have to provide more. Those that don't struggle to find the best talent and to be competitive in in the current economy, you want the best workforce. It's about who have I got alongside me in my workforce, not not necessarily yet about where are we going. Get the who right, then you can consider the where. Yeah. And one of the things that I know we're agreed on here, and you've mentioned it a couple of times, is one is about a people-centric leadership. And you've yeah. also mentioned just now about putting people first. And that old saying, and I know you'll know this, and you'll, most of our listeners will know it, you know, people is our most important asset. For but sure. what I'm noticing is that not organisations will put people first. They'll put the shareholder first or profits before people. And what I'm noticing there, kind of interesting to see whether you are, is that that's not changing as quick as I thought it might. You know, we're not seeing people, organizations put people first. They're still keeping that profit as the core driver. I'm interested in your perspective on that. Yeah, I think I think what you've said is is true. I think there's also more economics at play here. A lot of the businesses, for example, are PE backed. They're private equity backed and those private equity companies want to return on investment. And we're talking about some major corporations here. Yeah. Now, they have slightly different objectives. Their objective is not necessarily to build a business for the future. It's to build a business now that is is very, very profitable on the surface so that they can sell and exit. So that I use that as one quick example. Actually, they're the kind of business that will often strip out their people in order to save the salary burden, which is one of the biggest burdens for most organizations. Um, that makes them instantly more profitable. And then they all look for for set to to sell that business and 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 make a great profit and return on investment. And I think ultimately business is about profit. It's about growing an enterprise, uh, which involves people to get there. But I so I think in in that particular instance, you're going to see people manage businesses in a way that aren't people centric if they're looking for that instant return. So I yeah. think from my perspective, I don't think that will necessarily change. But for the business owners like myself and, and and for yourself trading we're much smaller than perhaps some of those companies i refer to sure. but ultimately i'm not looking to do that in my company i want to take the the, the employees with me and there are a lot of um, people leaders out there that want to do the same and if you want to build talent that that stays with you and grows with you and evolves with you you certainly don't want that talent leaving the door very very expensive to replace and i know that running a recruitment company because to find replacement talent and even then they may have the skills, but do they have the, the cultural know-how? Do they have the right attitude, the personality, and those things? So it just makes good business sense, actually, to retain those people. And to do that, you've got to create an environment that allows them to express themselves and feel like they can be themselves. And that's where the investment comes in. It used to be just about let's increase the salaries, we'll entice them over. It doesn't weigh as, as heavy as it used to about the salary thing. There's more things to consider. Work-life balance, the ability to spend more time with my children, the ability to feel like I can express myself. A lot of people would rather take a lower salary, but be in an environment where they feel psychologically safe, where they can you know, 
come in to work without the negative consequences or negative feelings they may have in a, in a more oppressive organizational environment. And I think it's become a critical part of HR strategy to try and identify what that is. That's not to say there will always be some companies, though, like the PEBAC companies. I'm not sure, again, not don't want to put them all in the same boat, but it's no, an sure, example sure. of where you will. But you're see saying there's two some different first. ends, I guess, perspectives sure. of how you look at a business, whether it's for profit or whether it's for sustainability and for you know society i guess and be, be around for many years years to yeah come. and we're still in the middle of a cultural shift people haven't yet come around to this idea yet it, the pandemic you know rapidly transformed the world of work quicker than anyone could ever have anticipated yeah so people are still kind of catching their breath a little bit i think it's probably a little bit too much to expect that the all every board in the country to suddenly be able to adapt and, and evolve as quickly as as some of us might like them to yeah. and we're still seeing that there's still a massive disparity in gender pay gap in disability pay gap in in uh, neurodivergent people not being considered for work but there's loads of things in there that people are still sort of trying to we're trying to plug those gaps as best we can and i think we've got a long way to go until we achieve a lot of those things yeah I, as you say it's moving in the right direction but there's still a long yeah. way to go with some of those gaps that you've outlined so how are your some of the individuals the senior hr professionals that you you operate with how are they adapting at pace and accelerating to those changes i think the people leaders out there oh they have a real challenge a real challenge because on the one hand they want to develop coaching cultures now you and i know that involves listening to the needs of your employee right and understanding what those needs are rather than suggesting solutions that we think those problems might be and often we'll get that wrong However, and I'm sure there'll be people listening to this going, I want to do all of these things. I want to create a human centric leadership environment where the people come first and I'm listening and I'm empathetic, but it's so fast paced, it becomes an impossibility. So what we start to do is we make decisions anyway, because business is otherwise going to move quicker than we can. And I don't actually know if I know what the answer is to that challenge, because um it's it's complex. There's a lot of demands put upon HR departments. I mentioned earlier with the plate spinning, the objectives they have to handle are, are, are multifaceted. It's never one. It's, well, we need to improve our retention metrics. We're losing too many staff and replacing them is too expensive. So we've got the recruitment, talent and retention and attraction angle. The next minute, we've got to improve the diversity of our board. You know, we need to we need to look at how how our recruitment is 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 improving our ability to 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 attract a more diverse workforce. We also need to make sure our workforce is more inclusive, but not just inclusive, that it's equitable and that everyone has the the, the same opportunities as the next person. Well, that that involves huge transformational change for many organizations. Then there's organizational design. If we're going to be more diverse and we're going to create new roles and we're trying to adapt to generative AI and all these tools coming in, we need to be one step ahead to make sure we're not left behind the technological curve. That that takes consideration. Then you've got the demands of your board and all the things that they may need you to do, grow profit, reduce headcount, deal with court related employee related issues potentially there's an awful lot to do a lot awful lot on a, on a people leader's shoulders particularly at the, the higher end of that strategic end of the scale and i think therefore it's incredibly difficult for us also to be expecting them to be able to take the time which is what it requires to be able to lift your head up and be more strategic and strategize and say how can i be more effective? How can i make our company more effective when you often feel like you're really down in the trenches and I think that's a, a really difficult challenge for people leaders at the moment. Boards don't have that much patience. They just need it done. And they're probably still looking at those people teams like a human resources 
department and that's where that shift needs to change it needs to change from boards looking down rather than i think people teams already consider themselves as people focused they mm, don't consider sure. themselves as hr leaders and when i ask that question on the, on the podcast that comes across quite apparent doesn't necessarily matter if we haven't changed the view of the people above them and that's where we need to see the change so this is a massive cultural shift that's happening yeah. a mindset shift and i guess the people teams and people senior people leaders are trying to work that out while trying to still deliver on the day-to-day -day requirements and outputs that the board are asking them to do i, I guess i yeah. very much see it as sort of you're trying to repair and make this plane go faster but you're doing that in the air while it's still flying you know you don't put it on the land sort it on the ground and sort it out it's constantly going it's a, a merry-go-round or a conveyor belt whichever term that uh, our listeners will visualize too for sure i mean I, i'll use the concept that you you taught me uh, on a coaching focus which is a tim galloway quote from um the inner game of tennis and he says you know performance is potential minus the interference now we want to maximize the performance of our organizations and we can see the potential of our people but managing that interference is really, really challenging. Taking away the noise that that complicates what we're trying to achieve is really, really challenging. Um, and as you say, sometimes you must feel like you're trying to make your plane go faster when you're still in the air. And that that makes things very, very complex for people, people leaders. Um, yeah. And I, I, unfortunately, I don't necessarily know what the solution is, really. What I do know is, and again, linking into coaching focus here, is we want people to be able to play their best game. If we can do that, if we can enable all the different siloed parts of our organization culturally to play their best game. Well, to do that, we need to create psychologically safe environments. We need to allow people to express themselves, to be themselves, to feel like they belong. And that's a big, big element of, of, of cultural change that we're seeing in the workforce at the moment. How can we allow people to bring them true selves to work, whatever that might mean? Because when we know when we do that, they feel like they belong and they perform better. They are more committed. And there's a lot of studies that suggest the more people feel like they can be themselves at work, actually, the better better their performance. And of course, we know performance links very closely to profits. But it's very easy for me to say that from a, you know, from, sure. from, from my chair here than it is to actually put some of those things into practice. Yeah. So there's a lot of challenges for senior people, leaders. Where from your, again, from your experience, where would those people leaders go for, for guidance, for counsel, for the answers to the that new world? Because I guess it's new and therefore the answers best practice isn't out there. So where are your the people that you people leaders that you deal with, where are they going for that advice and guidance? Well, I definitely think it's like anything, no matter what your problem might be, we know that talking is often the, the first sign of, of, of or first solution to, to solving a problem. Um, mm. It was uh, there's a there's a great um, quote that from a coaching perspective says, you know, there's a lamppost metaphor where if you can speak to a lamppost for 30 minutes a day, you just feel better even though the lamppost can't talk back to you, right? But if we think we use that as a concept of people leaders, I think the first and foremost, they need to talk about it. They need to try and um, make sure they're communicating the challenges they have with the people that can support them. And that, that is difficult if you're at the top of the of the leadership scale here, if within people um, leadership, you're a people director, because often you're looking down on, on those that aren't at your level strategically or haven't got your level of expertise. So to find that peer group can be quite challenging, but it does exist. There are some great bodies out there, the CIPD being an obvious one. And um, I have a, a, a private sort of payroll, a payroll and an HR leaders WhatsApp group, which communicates brings people together. There's a number of webinars, there's external organizations like yourself. And the, the 
I think if you look for them, there are a lot of communities out there. And I think if we play that back into the the idea that the McKinsey the McKinsey report showed, where more diversity of thought involved, you know, then create allows for more creativity, more ideas. The same is true in any networking organization. So if you're an, a, a people leader right now and you are struggling to get to grips or, or or manage everything in one place. There'll be other people leaders in the same boat as you, and they would have tried things that you haven't, and you would have tried things that they haven't. So you need to try and find those people. And there are some fantastic platforms for doing that. LinkedIn being one, of course, an obvious one where you'll easily find other people leaders out there that will be faced with very similar challenges. However, human nature sometimes means we hold everything in. There's a fear about sharing. There's a fear about, are we letting commercial things go? Are we, are we you know, is, is it too risky? But I personally think the benefits typically out far outweigh the risks. The ability to talk, to get them out in the open, sometimes just makes a problem sound more manageable as well. Um, and I think by and, talking aloud, so to speak, and talking using your analogy of the, the lamppost, it, it shows that you have a vulnerability, an issue that you want to talk with others. And as we discussed, this isn't just localised. This is most, if not all, people leaders will have this challenge. And I love the, sure. the lamppost element because if you not only talk to the lamppost, it will shine a light that's saying, hey, look, I, I've got this challenge that I would love to talk to you about. And the light is shining down for other people to come and connect and collaborate to resolve and find those solutions in a very challenging and adapting world. Imagine how much more productive it will be if the lamppost spoke back. And that's about finding your peer group. I think a lot of it sits within people's thinking. We They think mm. they've got these major, I'm not saying they don't have major challenges, but our natural tendency as humans is to overthink. And then we start to visualize our thoughts and we end up going down a rabbit hole. And I would imagine most listeners can, can um, align themselves with this. We think of a problem, whatever that might be, and suddenly we visualize it and we visualize and we hold on to that usually negative thought. We very rarely do this with positive thoughts, by the way. We know that the power of positive visualization, and yet we have to really work at that. We have to be reminded to do that by by others that are doing it. Oh, I must, must do that more often. I must visualize my race or visualize what I want to achieve or whatever. And yet we do it every day when it comes to a negative thought. Something negative pops in and we hold on to it. And then we we, we create all the, the catastrophize all those potential scenarios. And if you haven't got someone to, to, to speak with about those things, then we continue down that rabbit hole. And actually, we think we have a major reality problem as a result. In reality, actually, you have a thinking problem. You've overthought it. You've taken it somewhere else. It's created all this stress in the body, which it impacts your ability to perform, impacts your ability to delegate in particular. A major problem in, in all organizations across all departments. This is certainly not restricted to, to people teams, but the ability to delegate and actually put people in roles of responsibility where actually they can really perform if given that opportunity to do so, particularly if it's communicated well. Instead, we hold it all in. And I, I certainly see that there's a lot of burnout in, in the people industry. A lot yeah. of people leaders, very, very, very stressed, very, very overworked, doing an awful lot of hours. And it's um, it's it's painful to see it, really, because there are solutions out there. But it's sometimes very, very hard to see the wood for the trees if you're living that world. Um, and a peer group is something that can really, really help. And just reach out, use your network, use LinkedIn, use the people that you know, the people, your previous colleagues, previous CEOs, whoever it might be, and just reach out and say, look, can I just, just, you know, have a, have a few minutes and just, just chew, yeah, chew the fat, have, have a chat. Yeah, 
And I, I know your website's got some brilliant resources on there and networks, which um, if people are interested in, they, they can join by connecting with you. And I'm sure you'll connect them with lots of other lampposts if we can keep with that yeah, analogy. Yeah, We'll talk back and we'll help them to find the solutions. And those challenges are, are commonplace. For so sure, Nick, one, sure. one final question, just to round up the session, which I ask all my guests, which is, what does coaching for a better tomorrow mean for you? Oh, what a great question, Drayton. Coaching for a better tomorrow is about listening to improve our own sense of what a better tomorrow looks like. So not suggesting we always have the ideas and the answers. It's being open to change. I'm a big believer in uh, authenticity. My authentic self now will not be the same authentic self tomorrow. I'm always authentic, but I'm very open to the idea, the authenticity paradox, where my values and beliefs can change. And I actually yeah. want them to. I want to evolve. I'm a different person now than I was even a year ago when I started your course. It's, it's opened my mind to many, many things. So coaching for a better tomorrow, it's about al allowing yourself to be open minded enough to allow those around you to be open in your presence if you're a leader in that context so that they can perform to the best of their abilities in whatever that might be that doesn't have to be in a work context that's the ability to perform the ability to express themselves the ability to feel safe their ability to be vulnerable i'm a huge advocate for vulnerability i believe vulnerability allows for other people it's contagious to feel vulnerable and actually you can have the, the greatest ideas and and, and insights when we feel vulnerable and we see the world differently. So coaching for better tomorrow is allowing allowing an openness in yourself and an openness in others to, to feel safe, to express themselves, to, and then just to see what comes, see what that brings. And and to be better, whatever be better, better is for them. Constantly yeah. evolving, constantly evolving right. for sure. Well, Nick, as ever, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. And I'm sure our listeners have taken huge insight uh, and great understanding from all of the things that you've shared there. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Been great. Thanks, Jason.